0: I'd like to thank uh, Mike for that reading in Romans um, chapter 8, I think you said. Um, It is very encouraging to hear that passage of how we are to withstand uh, what is happening in the world around us by looking at our relationship with the Lord and we'll touch on that again next week. But for this week, we look at Revelation chapter 17 and the description of the great harlot, or the great prostitute, called Babylon. And so, um, let's just read together from God's Word. But before we do, we'll open in prayer, and we'll just ask the Lord to guide our thoughts. Lord, our Heavenly Father, thank You that we can open Your Word. Thank You that we can know that this is Your breathed out Word to us, the very words of God given to us so that we can know the thoughts of God. You've chosen to reveal yourself to us in this way. And so, Lord, as we open the pages of this book, may the thoughts of God enter us. May you speak to our spirits and may we know that we have met with the living God through your word. And Lord, as we listen to your word expounded, we pray that your Holy Spirit would move among us, that he would touch my lips, that he would touch our ears, and that you would move in all of our hearts so that we would be changed to face this world and to live for Jesus Christ. Thank you for the privilege we have of meeting in peace in a place like this in Wanganui. Thank you that we don't have to fear those who would come with violence against us because they cannot stand the Lord we serve. Thank you for the moment we have. But Lord, may we not take it for granted. May we make hay while the sun shines spiritually. May we use this time for the sake of the Gospel and use it profitably for Jesus Christ. So open our ears now we pray. To your glory. Amen. Let's read from Revelation chapter 17. We're going to read the whole chapter. (coughs) Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of... Through sexual immorality, the dwellers on earth have become drunk, and he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman, drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, and is, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are of one mind and hand over their power and authority to the beast. Sorry. These are of one mind and hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them. For he is the Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with him are, are called and chosen and faithful. And the angel said to me, The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out His purpose by being of one mind and handing their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. Now that seems a lot we need to get through this morning. But a lot of it we've done already. And so we're going to be referring to these and calling them to memory because they'll help us as we look at what is happening here. Now today you'll find, uh, and I'm in the tourist industry too at uh, Brahma House, you'll find many guidebooks about every major city in the world, nearly. Bangkok, Barcelona, Beijing, Belclutha. But you won't find a guidebook on Babylon. Why not? Because it's just a ruin now. Somewhere in Iraq. And so why this reference to Babylon today? Why the reference to it in scriptures? And the answer, and I'm giving the answer up front, is because in Revelation, as in the Old Testament prophecies, Isaiah, Jeremiah and many others, Babylon is used to symbolize any society, any organization, any mindset which is, which is organized independently of God and is in rebellion against Him. In other words, I repeat that again, in Scripture as a whole, when you look at how Babylon is used as a picture, it is used to describe man who is anti-God and without God, and in rebellion to Him. Whether they are a king, an organization, a country, an individual, it describes Babylon. By the way, interesting that the location of Babylon is where the Tower of Babel was built in the first place, and what happened over there? Man set himself up against God, and wanted to be without God, and be king. That's just in brackets. It's what in John's letters later, I mean earlier, he calls the world. So that's what Babylon represents. Alright, now you've got that, you can rest that now. We know what Babylon is. But now let's look at the details. Just as part of the introduction here, John's vision is to bring encouragement to believers in his day, in the here and now of his day, and what was happening to them. Many, many of those believers were undergoing persecution of some kind. Many of them had lost their lives and those who survived were wondering when's it going to be our turn. Many of them were sitting in prisons. Many of them had been put out um, into isolation as John finds himself as he writes this book. And so John wants to encourage them through this vision that the Lord gives to him but also... He wants to warn them of compromise with the world to take the pressure off their own situations. We'll come back to that. The next three chapters we're busy with, chapter 17, 18, and 19, describe the systematic destruction of God's enemies. We've been moving through the book of Revelation, and if you've been seeing it as a timeline of what is going to happen and then what's going to happen and then what's going to happen, you'll be confused. Because Revelation wasn't written like that. Revelation is a series of pictures giving us the same information, but just adding more information as we move closer and closer to the end. And so here we're in chapter 17 to 19. Last week Mike spoke on the end of chapter 16, which spoke about the battle of Armageddon and the end. The bowls, the sixth and seventh bowls, that was kind of the end. And now we kind of cycle back in again. And we're getting more details about the judgment. So, chapter 17 to 19 describe the destruction of every one of God's enemies. The great red dragon or Satan. The beast from the sea, which represents the powers of this world. The beast from the earth, which represents false spirituality. The city of Babylon, which represents the seductions of this world. And also those who bear the mark of the beast, all these will be destroyed. They spell out what happens when the sixth and seventh bowls of wrath are poured out, and we've looked at that. Today we're going to look at chapter 17 specifically. What is the nature of this harlot? What is the nature of this prostitute called Babylon? So that we'd recognize her. And then next week, Lord willing, we'll look at her destruction. Now, last little bit of introduction. When it comes to Babylon, we need to know how to interpret the city. And why is her name used? See, John's vision takes account of the historical fall of the actual city of Babylon. There was an actual city called Babylon. It was situated on the river um, Euphrates, um, which was in Scripture, and especially if you read through Isaiah and some of the Old Testament prophets, Um, you'll see the river Euphrates was the boundary which formed the boundary between those who would come and invade God's people and his own people. Alright, so we've got that situation where Babylon is situated on the river Euphrates. And also Babylon was the ancient oppressor of God's people. They were constantly invading um, Israel. The Babylonians were also associated with the cities of Tyre and Sidon. Now if you know anything about Tyre and Sidon, They were situated on the coast. They were immensely rich as Babylon was through trade, especially through the the trade of the colour purple and purple dyes, which they got from a seashell. And other things came from that, of course. Much more jewellery, much more trade would come in with gold, silver, and all these things would add to the riches. And so Babylon, Tyre and Sidon all kind of connected. Tyre and Sidon, interesting too, was the birthplace of Jezebel. Who was Jezebel? She was the one who oppressed God's people too, who came in to that nation and led them astray. Into what? Idol worship. And so all these pictures are connecting when he speaks about Babylon, the great prostitute. And we need to understand that. There's much more, of course. So John takes the actual destruction of the city of Babylon and he points it, backwards to the defeat of Pharaoh in Egypt in the Red Sea. And we'll see that coming out in chapter 18, but I thought I'd just mention it now so you can keep it in your minds. And then, don't get confused now, he's pointed back to the Red Sea, and then he points the whole thing forward again to what is coming. We've got to keep the destruction of Babylon in mind, we've got to keep the events of the Red Sea in mind, and it points us to what will happen, not just in John's day to believers there, but also to those of us who are still alive in the future. All right. So there's a going from present, looking back, but then looking forward with all those pictures combined. So he uses the elements of Babylon's destruction, the city itself, the king of Babylon, the river on which it's situated the Euphrates, and the manner in which Babylon fell. He uses all that to illustrate his picture of what will happen in the future. You still with me? Alright, we can move on. If you fail to understand this, you see, you come to a literal interpretation and you try and locate things geographically and then you get horribly confused and many have done that. And you miss the whole global application of this letter. And so we mustn't go down that road. Right, let's look at this great prostitute, the harlot. Verses 1 to 7 and and then the uh, interpretation of what things are. So you're going to have to have two eyes, like a chameleon today. One in the beginning of the passage and one looking a bit further. Alright, see if you can do that. Don't get too exhausted. Verses 1 to 7 and verses 15 to 17 is the explanation of what he says earlier. And so I'll be jumping between these things. We see firstly that this great prostitute or the harlot sits on many waters. Now, Babylon, Tyre, Sidon, were located on water. The river Euphrates, specifically in the case of Babylon. Babylon's name meant gate of the gods. And she had a massive influence on trade and enterprise in the whole Near East. She was a very, very important city in that area. And so when she sits on many waters, It's describing her sovereignty, her power over people, over the peoples, the multitudes, the nations, and the tongues, referred to in verse 15. Are you still with me now? So when it says that she sits on many waters, it's explaining that she has power over people. She's sovereign, human sovereign, over people, nations, kings, authorities. Lots of power. Because of her riches, her influence over them. But it doesn't end there, it says, that she also sits on seven hills. Now, Michael very, um, he explained to us last week that hills and people and hills are linked in that people, um, the picture of people in rebellion against God is sometimes in Scripture used as people on a hill, people on a mountain. And so here she sits on seven hills. But there's more to it, you see. John is writing during the time of the Romans. And if you know anything about the history of Romans of Rome, Rome sat on seven hills and if you go there today and I was there a few years ago, you can actually see the seven hills. Okay? So, he's also describing the power of Rome to the, the people who are reading the book in his era. Vespavian's coin, and I've included a fairly clear picture that I could find there, describes Rome there as, uh, pictures Rome there as uh, a woman sitting on seven hills and you even see The she-wolf in the bottom left over here who gave birth to Romulus and Remus who were supposedly the founders of Rome and so it's all kind of tied up there. And John picks up on this image in the harlot. you see it? This is his day. He knew this coin. So she sits on seven hills, referring to Rome, its worldly power and its influence in the whole of the Near East. But then, he says, the angel took me into the wilderness. Now, we need to just look at that quickly as well. What is this wilderness all about? We've met the wilderness before. The wilderness in their day was seen as a symbol for a place of fierce animals, of serpents and of evil spirits. It was a place where evil dwelt. And so the angel takes John into this place where evil dwelt. And and there he sees this woman sitting on the beast. Now, elsewhere in Scripture, and that's why you've got to be really careful when you interpret Scripture. Elsewhere in Scripture, and we saw that in Revelation um, chapter 12, we saw that the woman who is God's people fled into the wilderness, and there she was comforted by God. So, how can that be? Well, you see, the wilderness is used in two ways. Jesus was led into the wilderness. He wasn't comforted by God there initially, but that is where He was tempted. And then God Brought him comfort in the wilderness too. God is all over. But in this specific case, the wilderness represents where evil is. And so there we find this woman. Again, she's sitting. Now, there's a lot of sitting happening here. So if you're going to take this literally, you're kind of landing into trouble. Because what's she sitting on? Here she sits now. Another picture to describe to us. She's sitting on this scarlet beast. Now, we all know who the scarlet beast is. Come on, you guys are experts now at this already. Who's the scarlet beast? Sorry, Marty? Satan, yes. A representation of Satan. This beast has blasphemous names on his heads. He's got seven heads and ten horns. And we looked at him in Revelation 13. And so who's behind the woman? And she's pictured as sitting on this beast. In other words, who's behind what she does? Satan. You see, he's starting to interpret the picture. Now, we carry on with our description, verse 2. Many kings, says this text, committed adultery with this prostitute. Who are the many kings? Kings of the earth, the phrase kings of the earth is always representing political authorities and leaders of the ungodly world system, whichever era that was in. These are people who would not follow the Lord, but who turned against God. And there were many of them. And so it says many kings have committed adultery with her. When scripture uses the words adultery, what's it referring to? Idol worship. What is idol worship? It's worshipping anything but God. Anyone but God. It's a very general term used for turning your back on God and worshipping something else. Think of the first commandment. And so... Where the leaders go, the people go. Many others, the inhabitants of the earth, have drunk her wine and have participated in her fornication. They too have committed fornication with this prostitute, the harlot. Where the people, where the leaders go, the people go. What's the reason for them being seduced by her? Verse 4 gives us a clue. And it's the age-old thing which has pulled many, many, many people to their doom. She's dressed in purple and scarlet, representing royalty, nobility, wealth. And she's wearing gold and precious stones and pearls. She's covered in wealth. And so what is this showing us? It's telling us that this prostitute Babylon tells people to forget about God and to focus instead on making as much wealth as possible to spend on themselves. That is, dream of, attain and enjoy a life of unrestrained luxury, and I will give it to you. Come to me. Listen to me. Participate with me, and you will get these things for your senses. And she doesn't just do that, she offers excitement. She holds in her hand a, a gold cup full of abominations of her wickedness. So what is that? You see, she doesn't just look after their physical senses, she draws their spiritual senses too the sensuousness of their spiritual lives. In other words, she says, come to me and I will intoxicate you against my evil nature. You won't even know that you are doing evil because I am intoxicating you. She blinds them to her ultimate insecurity. She deceives them about God as her and their future judge. She dulls that sense in them and that He is the only true foundation of true prosperity. That's her role. She dulls people to sin. I just want to share with you, Alice and I, about ten years ago, had the misfortune of spending one night in Las Vegas. I say misfortune. It was cheap. When you're overseas, that counts. But it was terrible. When you come into that city, it's all about money. Spending money and getting your money out of your pocket as soon as they can. Indulging the senses. All the senses. It's a sinful place. It's set up to be there. And so you look out your hotel window and you just see sensuous ads. You turn on your television sets, it's all rubbish. You walk anywhere in the streets and it's all about gambling and shows and pulling money out and women with hardly anything on. We couldn't wait to get out of the place. But I had such a sense of sin in that place. That's the picture we get of this woman when you see her. You must get that heaviness of it. That's the picture John is trying to create here. Don't be enamoured by her. You see, John is dazzled by her. And it mentions that he, 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 was, he was awed by her. And the angel addresses him on that. And the word used is he was dazzled. Be careful of this prostitute. Her whole makeup is there to draw you away from God. And she's really good at what she does. And we really fall for her quite quickly, as humans. You see, in John's day, kings and merchants were totally enamored by Rome and her riches and her prosperity. And they came from all over the known world to spend time in Harlot, in, in, in Rome. It was like a rite of passage nearly. And if you read a little bit, and we haven't got time, you read a little bit about what happened in Rome and all the wickedness that took place there. You think today's rough? Rome was very much like today, it's just a different time. There was nothing you can think of as evil that they didn't get up to there. We think that this whole push on the LBGT agenda is, is all new. It's not. It was around already. We've just got a bit more inventive today. It's all there. Wickedness. And people were drawn to this wickedness like like a magnet. And like a harlot, she held them in her sway. She picked all their boxes, all the boxes they could think of, she would meet. And she held them in her grasp. Rome through her rulers, raised herself up to the position of God in her own view. And her rulers were called living gods or supreme gods. And so the Caesars gave themselves through the people the name of God. And the people worshiped them as gods. Do you see how they fallen? Idol worship. Prostitution to the city. Let's carry on. Her identity is revealed because we need to hear this from Scripture. Her name was on her forehead and was it say, verse five, What was her name? Babylon the Great. Mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. I'm glad my mother gave me a different name. Even though it means bald. I don't know where she got that from. But, Roman prostitutes and prostitutes of the day were known to wear headbands with their name written on it, branding. It's not a new thing. And so they would have Jezebel written on a name or whatever it was. And they'd walk the streets, dressed in their finery, and they would lure men. And there were men who would lure women. That wasn't you either. And they would take them away. And it was common in the city. And so John picks up on all these things that people would know. But this woman has on her head written, she is the mother of all prostitutes. Babylon. And so there's the interpretation for us. She had exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and in that Roman city too, they had done the same, and they'd become self-sufficient, they thought, without God. Carries on and it says, Babylon had caused the death of many believers. She's drunk with their blood, the blood of the witnesses of Jesus Christ. Now, if we just think of John's time, we don't even think earlier in scripture's history, but Babylon itself is described here, through life in Rome and those times. We looked at that in chapter 2 and 3, the letters to the seven churches, right? The church of Thyatira, chapter 2. They had those guilds, remember? We're going back a bit now, it's called revision. And in Thyatira they had these guilds, and if you didn't belong to the guild, and if you didn't worship the, the temple of, at the temple of Diana, if you didn't go through the temple prostitutes, if you didn't bring money, if you didn't um, change your money in the temple... You didn't get work, you were sidelined for the jobs, and in the end, you died because you had no income. They didn't have social security. And so many, many, many Christians lost their jobs, lost their livelihoods, and suffered at the hands of Babylon. And the same here now, he reminds them that you believers are under extreme pressure to comply with idol worship, to comply with all the other indecencies demanded of worshippers. But, I'm calling you through this letter, the Lord says you don't comply. Don't give in. Rather go to starvation and face what lies ahead than to compromise. Often, Religion and economy go together. I used to serve in the corporate sector, in the IT world. And there we got a special fund which we had to blow on our clients to look after them, to butter them up so that they do more business. I couldn't stand the lifestyle. Because as a believer you were called to sometimes have to go and to do all kinds. And I refused, but I saw many who didn't, my colleagues. It's nothing new in the corporate sector today. Religion, idolatry, economy go hand in hand. There's a picture here you see wider than Rome. John's description is an allegory. He's using this woman called Babylon to describe human culture Economy, religious system, which is against God, which glories in prosperity without God. Are we getting it? And many, many have been caught up in her false religion of idol worship. What is idol worship? Worshipping anything else but God. And today, any institution that is characterized by self-glorifying pride, and you just, you don't have to look very far, Any institution or any attitude which is characterized by idolatry of money, success, idolatry of power, sex, love, idolatry of health, and that's the big one now, idolatry of the next adrenaline rush in New Zealand, idolatry is a rejection of God. Any organization or group or attitude which persecutes or belittles Christians is Babylon or the world, whether that's the media whether that's any other group which would talk against God and his followers are part of Babylon. We need to be able to interpret this. And John, when he looks at this woman on this beast, he is, comp- he is nearly overcome. He's dazzled. But the angel calls him out of that. He says, no, why do you marvel, why do you marvel at this, John? I need to explain. Let's look at the beast now and I'm going to run very shortly through this because we've gone through the beast quite a few times. This beast who was, who is not and is about to come up out of the abyss and go to destruction. What does this say about the beast? We've looked at this before. Wasn't the beast the one who led people astray by seemingly miraculous signs? In, In John's time, Nero, they thought he had died but he Became alive again. It's also describing the time sequence to do with the beast. The one who was always, the one who was conquered by Jesus Christ and is about to come up out of the abyss and go to destruction. Not a long time to go, says the Lord. Hold on. Hold out. He has seven heads and seven mountains. Scripture tells in verse 9 that seven heads are seven mountains. So now we know what that means there. So that's political power, people power, leadership power against God. The seven kings line up with that. Some have said that these seven kings speak about seven world empires. Well, if you go by that interpretation, you've run out of empires and kings because they don't line up. There were more empires than seven that were against the Lord even in this time. So that can't be literal. So it must mean the era of man and his rule, which is against God. Five kings five are past, one is at present, one will come. What does that mean? Well, you, we have to look at the proportions of time here. A lot of time has passed where man has been ruling against God. In John's time there was one who was definitely against God and there will come one. The proportion of time is shorter the size says John. The Lord will come. These things will end. Man's rule will end. And then there's this ace king who raises himself up, verse 11. And it's, he's identified as Satan himself who pushes himself up as king. Alright? There's a lot here. We can't cover it in one Sunday. And then the ten horns equal ten kings, referring to Daniel chapter 7. We've looked at the horns and the kings before. Human authority which will rule it says here, for only one hour. A very short while in the economy of God's time. And what do they do? Note in verse 13, they all worship the beast. They all give their allegiance to the beast. And now something happens which we don't expect. There's a twist in the story. Verses 16 to 17, what happens here? This whole system turns against the woman. Now, I didn't expect that. You'd think evil would support evil. There's an old English saying that there's no honour amongst thieves. Well, evil is implicitly self-destructive. Christ also teaches that. Satan cannot stand because he will be divided against himself by those who are under him. They will always turn against each other. It's the nature of evil. Evil is not out for good at all. It will always seek its own interest. And so here they turn against the woman. And it says they utterly destroy the world. They utterly destroy the world order. They utterly destroy the economic and religious system that he set up. Now how that's all going to pan out, I don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us, but we'll see. You start getting an inkling of things when you look around at what's happening in the world today. Think of all the talks happening recently. Think of nation up against nation, of church up against nation, of nation up against church systems. It seems to be all turning in on itself, but I can't say it definitely is that. God will show us. We don't know. But what we do know is that they give all their allegiance to the beast. And what does the beast do? He wants to fight the Lamb. Once and for all, he says. But do they achieve their purposes? You see, this chapter, chapter 16 and 17 says, who is in control? Verse 14 and 15, who is in control? God is. And they might think they're achieving their purposes, Satan might think he's achieving his purposes, but in the end, God is the one who's sovereign. He's behind all these nations. He is achieving his purposes. Now think of Pharaoh. Pharaoh thought he was throwing that nation out. And he was going to chase them down and kill them in that, um, in that desert encounter. But God achieved his purposes through that. God is the one who is sovereign. Why? Text says, verse 14, He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And we must remember that. And so it answers that great question in chapter 13, verse 4. That pompous challenge that rings out when the beast stands up. Who is like the beast and who can fight against it? Here comes the answer. The lamb can. In this chapter we're looking at. So it's not all doom and gloom. And who is with the lamb? Look at that verse. Who is with the lamb? The called, the chosen, the faithful. Who's that? Believers. Who are the called ones? We are. God calls us from darkness to light. Who are the chosen ones? We are, if we are believers, God has chosen us before the foundation of the world. We are His chosen ones. Who are the faithful ones? Well, that we have to answer. They are the ones who are with the Lamb. What do we do with all this? I've got three points of application. Two longer, one short. First one, i ask it as directly as I can. Are you flirting with Babylon? How would you finish this sentence? I I would be truly content if only I had... What? You see, it quickly tells us where we're at. If that answer, I'll be really content if only I had... That answer... If it points away from God to something that you could, you have to have, otherwise you're not complete. There's idolatry in your life. The prostitute is working. How does that question reveal where you're most at risk of being dazzled and duped by Babylon? You see, her call is strong. Are you flirting with Babylon? If you think of your life, maybe you're in love with Babylon. Babylon. Or maybe you're in bed with Babylon. You know your own life. I know mine. How strong is Babylon's call on our lives? We'll look more into this next week. Here's a warning, you see. As for the kings of the earth, your character is formed by the company you keep. If you're spending most of your time with Babylon, your character will be formed and shaped by Babylon. Young people, please listen to me. There's a whole generation coming after me now, and I'm getting older. Young people, there's a whole generation now that are walking away from the Lord. We know in our own families. Why? Because they're listening to Babylon. How are they doing that? Because they're starting to copy the way the world is doing things. Where do we see that most clearly? In two areas, materialism and relationships. Materialism, this chasing after more and more money and more and more goods constantly. It takes up all the time and energy. Relationships, Christians walking away from doing what God says in His Word, living the way we should in His Word and shacking up and doing all kinds of things together as believers and still thinking, I'm alright. Babylon at work. And I plead to you, and I'm getting ahead of myself in next week's sermon, come out from among her my people, says the Lord. I plead with you young people, stand strong for Jesus Christ. Don't listen to your peers. Don't do things because others are doing it and that you think it's normal. There's a whole generation of you that need to stand and do the hard things for Jesus Christ. And in the end, He will honour you. But don't join Babylon in prostituting yourself to evil. The moment you do that, you are a prostitute to evil as well. Secondly, I want to call this church. Is Babylon in the church? You see, people who claim to be Christians will try to, and I'll repeat that, People who are Christians or who claim to be Christians will try to convince us as believers that compromise with the world, with worldly idolatry, is okay. Where do we see that? In the multi-faith movement that is getting stronger and stronger now in the world. I heard another service again this week of let's just join together as faith. So it doesn't matter which faith you are, and let's just worship the God who whoever your God is. Let's worship together this week. Recently the split in the Anglican Church down south. I've got friends there who are leaders in churches who have to leave the Anglican Church because of the stand that's being taken on gay marriages and gay clergy. And those are people who claim to be Christians who are calling the rest of us Christians to compromise with the way the world does things. Seduction in our own day comes not just from TV, And from online adverts, those are all included by the way, which promote materialism. But they also come from false religious teachers. Turn on your television set. Listen to the radio. Read books advertised by Radio Rima. Theological liberalism tends to make peace with the world and justifies why we as Christians should be more like the world and its attitudes. And they're good at justifying it. And it sounds alright prosperity gospel. The self-help pop psychology because superstars do it or because celebrities do it, it must be a good. And I'm not going to mention any names. You get the whole trend gurus, people online, setting up websites and saying, this is how you can tackle any old problem in your life. Just do it like I do it on TV. Follow me. Turn on your TV. Turn on the internet. Societal agendas being pushed on us, whether it's through our governments or through other agencies on moral issues. Euthanasia, the whole lesbian, gay, transgender affair that we have in this country. What's happening here? It's the harlot at work. We need to recognize it. And as a church, we need to stand strong against it. And we need to be speaking up about these things. We shouldn't just be leaving it to other groups. We should be doing it as churches. We should be standing up. Because these other people are sidelining redemption. And they're sidelining what sin does in people's lives. And instead they're raising the God of tolerance in its place. Tolerate them. Show them Christ's love. You see, it might be tolerance to the world's mindset, but it's intolerance to God's call to holiness. What's the danger sign in you and I in the church? I'll tell you what it is. Recognize it. Ah, I couldn't be bothered. Danger sign. You couldn't be bothered to stand up against the system around us and our society. Someone else will do it. We are the ones called to be holy. You and I. And when you and I, the individual church members, stop being reactive in this, it falls apart. Someone else won't do it. We are the someone else. And so when you see these things coming up against euthanasia, participate. If you need to go and see the council, um, Hadley said yesterday they've got 30,000 submissions on euthanasia. Or something like that, 3,000, I don't know what it was. 30,000, yep. Are we among them? Are we willing to speak up against these things? If we're not, Babylon is getting to us. If we are not salt in the world, who will be salt? And then lastly, I want to ask you this, verse 17. Who is in control? And that's where we can get a bit of encouragement here this morning. God's purposes and plans are being fulfilled. Even though you look around you and it's it's all darkness, God's purposes are being fulfilled. Who is with the Lamb when Satan and his allies are destroyed? You and I. God will remain faithful. He will remain faithful to His called and chosen ones, but will we remain faithful. Next time we're going to carry on with this theme. And God is going to call to us. Come out from that, my people. And so prepare yourself for next week too. Read a bit ahead. And then the Holy Spirit will be able to do much more through us as we look at this very, very... And these three chapters are some of the most difficult chapters to get through. But we can see sense through them. I hope you're encouraged from some of what you've got out of here this morning. But I do hope too that you've been warned don't sleep with Babylon this week. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, this is such a dire warning that You give to us through Your Word. Because the world around us and everything it, it offers to us is so attractive, Lord, and it appeals to our human natures and it, it appeals to everything we have, but Lord, You've said that we have to set ourselves apart from these things. And that doesn't mean we have to go overboard and and turn our backs on everything in the world and everyone in the world. But Lord, we have to live lives which are holy before You, even though we live in the world and amongst the world. We have to live lives which are faithful to Jesus Christ. Lord, help us in this, because we are weak, and we keep falling over. Help us in this, Lord, so that we can be faithful to Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.